0: I'd like to talk about, I'd like to cover a broad range of topics in this video, it might be quite long. I want to talk about twin flames, unconditional love, universal consciousness and the rationalization of abuse. Um, because I think in some ways <laughs> they are all connected if consciousness is universal and we are all part of a universe and everything is connected. so get around that one. Uh, the, the topic of twin flames I see comes up more and more and I see it on certain people's Facebook feeds and Instagram accounts and in YouTube videos. And it's kind of this idea that the, the soul is separated into two parts and that they manifest in different bodies and that finding your twin flame is to find the other part of yourself, is to have an experience where you find that the other person is the same soul, that you are the same soul, but in different bodies. And this idea is quite old, but gained some traction (coughs) in the 70s I can't remember the name of the person now, who promoted it when it was very old. It was Plato, and um, you know Plato talked about this idea of the soul. More, I mean, didn't name it twin flame. It was then this idea that the soul was split in two, and that we find our equivalent soul in the other person. But it's gained more and more traction and and popularity in the last. Um, 10 years I suppose but definitely um, in the last few years I hear it a lot um, it's also also as well in that info sphere around relationships is the idea of the narcissist and the codependent or the narcissistic and codependent relationships and there are parallels between both of them there are parallels between both of them are they synonymous are they actually the same thing that's really one of the questions i've been asking myself for a while now and it's such a huge topic i'm not really sure where to begin because the the idea that if we believe in twin flames if we believe that someone is a twin flame and to what degree are we would might we be so there's a might we be rationalizing abuse or finding a framework to rationalize abusive behavior because that's what i see some of these relationships being at another level going back to this idea of jung's idea of the anima and the animus the as, as we grow up we are impressed upon by our primary caregiver and through that impression we learn to relate so the dynamics of what an anima and an animus are are different um, in different uh, genders and different sexes different biological sexes and it's not constrained to being an internal representation of either a man or a woman but It can show up like that, and appears to show up that there is um, an imprint of what is the ideal. So, in a man, it's the anima, and in a woman, it's an animus. The ideal man onto which she projects an internal image or an internal imago into an external place, an external location, which is usually someone of the opposite sex. Usually, not exclusively. And this is really, this has a lot to do with our own ability to relate. In a man, the anima can often be aligned with a mother complex or the, because, let me try to summarize this. When we grow up, so for the men out there, when as we grow up, our first experience of the opposite sex is usually our primary caregiver because it's the mother. And in the woman it isn't. It's usually the same. This is why Jung's, the, the anima is the, is the soul and the animus is the spirit. And it's not because men don't have souls and women don't have spirits, but it's like this is the thing that is elusive in a way. And it's not that the woman doesn't have spirit because the animus often represents what the father represents which is more logos than eros it is an attempt to make rational sense out of the world whereas that's the masculine or the logos and it's not really the masculine but it's more common in the masculine it could be said to be a common masculine quality whereas eros which is the capacity to hold feeling and to be with the unfathomable depths of feeling without categorization is considered to be the domain of the feminine. And so Eros then is that of the feminine. So in a way this is in a, as a common deficit in men, often, culturally, at least, is considered that men aren't in touch with their feeling side, and that women can't think straight. You yeah, know, these are common stereotypical uh, representations of when dysfunction doesn't work well. But that's not what we are. Women <laughs> can think very well it's nothing to do with gender or sex and men can feel deeply and it's how we relate to those things so going back to this idea of the anima and the animus specifically the anima in men is as a man's relationship forms to himself, it sort of has a correspondence to how his relationship forms with his mother, or rather to that which is not like him, that which is not the same, because we relate to that which is not us, to that which we identify as us, we are, and we are, kind of, there is a, you know, we can push it further and say we're in relationship to that as well, but in many ways it's the relationship we have to the mystery within us that is the challenge possibly of the masculine and that's an invitation, it's not a hard and fast principle I'm telling you this is the way it is, it's an invitation and for women or the feminine it is the relationship to their own mind to their own Logos, to their own conscious comprehensions and understandings because innately they have a deep connection to the unconscious. And I think this is, the testament to this is often played out in terms like aphorisms, like female intuition, that a woman has intuition. And intuition is really just unconscious knowing. It's not always right, but then you know logic and reason aren't always right so what is it then and so when we come to then seeing the other that is not like us and this is in general terms the opposite biological sex we can project the contents that we are unconscious of about those qualities of how we relate so to the man or we could say the masculine will project outwards the qualities that are not him onto the feminine because they are other and in similar fashion the woman can project onto a man her animus which are the qualities of the masculine so there is a point at which we can integrate these energies back into ourselves and Jung talks about this and uses the uh, um, an alchemical text that talks about the wedding of the Red King and uh, the White Queen which are these alchemical principles. So we can integrate the elements of which we are unconscious about ourselves as men, the anima, back into our ourselves in a conscious way because we can recognize that those qualities are ours. In a similar way as a woman who rather than rely on, so a man can rely on a woman for certain qualities that he himself can engender and Vice versa, a woman can rely on qualities in a man. Sometimes that can be opinion or, you know, logic. A certain type of reasoning. Where she can feel powerless in the face of that. Because it's overwhelming to her nature. In the same way that a a man can feel overwhelmed by feeling that is uncategorizable the mystery within and the mystery without and the knowledge within and the knowledge of without it's a balance of these principles conscious and the unconscious this is what I believe Jung meant when he talked about you know, a resolution of opposites that there is a space or a way of being that resolves these positions that they are really just um, places on a spectrum rather than definitive positions and that those the sense that they ever might be definitive positions are because we hold one and are conscious of one and remain unconscious of the other so this idea of projection then and going back to the idea of twin flames and unconditional love universal consciousness and a rationalized belief a rationalised abuse. Rationalised belief is a good one too. So in a relationship and this idea of the soulmate going back to Plato or or just that there is there is someone out there for you and I who is who will feel like a part of our soul outside of ourselves. That that person is an external representation of the qualities that you are unconscious of within yourself. So it can feel like they are you because they are a canvas onto which you are projecting your own internal psychodynamic qualities. And in the case in which that person represents many 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 of those qualities they will feel more of your soul or spirit than someone else so it's a question of how much can they be a canvas for that projection and in some cases if we are talking about You know, narcissism and codependency, to what degree might they purposefully or even unconsciously try to embody or engender a canvas that can receive those projections? Because if there is a need in someone who is codependent to be accepted, and I won't go into I won't go into codependency and narcissism here because it's a huge topic. But where there is an insecurity at the root of both wounds, but where one has managed to resolve, well I say resolve, create patterns of behaviour that will allow them to regulate their emotional state by controlling their external environment or influencing their external environment um, by controlling or influencing either the environment to um, draw in the other person or to manipulate or control the other person directly that's usually the the remit of the narcissist. The codependent who wants to be accepted. Okay, well I'll just try and there we go, perfect. The alarm just went off. So why so whereas that's the remit or, or the the strategy the general strategy of the narcissist, the person who is codependent Will try to meet the needs of of the other person in order to feel accepted. So one can regulate their emotion almost by um, by creating an air of being independent, but really needing other people. And then the codependent can end up feeling like they need other people, but actually they are generally stronger than they think. And so there's a psychological balancing act going on. At one level, that's how we could look at it. That the healing... Here we go. What can you do? So that the healing of um, one individual that's really getting on it's not getting on my nerves it's just very distracting I want to hold the position um, so the healing it can be very it can be very healing says so the car alarm in front keeps going off if there's breaks in this so it can be very healing because one is attempting to balance out the other the and, and this is sort of similar in terms of anxious attachment styles and and avoidant attachment styles as well. There's sort of parallels, but they're not um, th- you know they're not inc- mutually inclusive by any stretch of the imagination. But there's a similar dynamic at play uh, in relationships. And both and specifically in terms of attachment styles, where one person who has been, often is considered, and this is, these are generalizations, so do take them with a pinch of salt. The anxious attachment style has had a somewhat consistent, uh, has had somewhat consistent level of attention as a child, but with periods of absence of that attention. So that they will get used to it and then seek it. So they will be fearful of withdrawal or, and a sense of abandonment. There's an insecurity there sometimes. So this is what can also be aligned with codependency or codepend- patterns in codependency as well. The avoidant attachment style, but not exclusively. The, the avoidant attachment style has often been promised offered certain conditions uh, of affection or attention and then that's been withdrawn at key points where they then their strategy for managing their emotional state is to go inwards or to either and this is where there's a differentiation you know with the narcissist is then to control the environment uh, and to inflate into a concept into their own self-concept to a certain degree where they have to try and continually manage this idea of themselves because to actually accept themselves as they are would be so so excruciatingly painful to get to that level of consciousness that they just can't do it so that well they can I believe they can at um, some point I don't think it's necessarily easy. Um, the degree to which it is um, possible, I, I think advocating, I do believe that there's a part in everyone where they can advocate for greater consciousness and people can come into greater consciousness. Now the, the big 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 caveat with that is you might not be the person who can manage to give that narcissist that break. And this is where there's a quality of unconditional love that can manifest in these certain types of relationships and where people can then end up screwing themselves over because they believe that they are the one who can fix the other person. And in narratives where you get this idea of twin flames and or even soulmates, or divine counterparts or spirit mates. There are different terminologies and they all mean, to be fair, all point to slightly different relationship dynamics. But in a general sense, um, this can be a rationalisation of that type of abusive dynamic within a relationship. And you have to be very, very wary of that. So, you have to be at a level of consciousness where you are. So, yes, where you are conscious of your own dynamic and then you're not rationalizing a level of abuse. Because that's not good. It's not good. Some psychologists, psychotherapists will say that the narcissist can never change and they will advise that. Um, There is no way to reason with them. There is no way to, uh, um, if you want to be with them, you just have to accept that that's how they are and that's how they will be. And I'm not going to argue with that here. Although I have already said that, I do believe that people can change. It might just be as rare as hen's teeth. That's the only thing. Uh, I haven't got enough experience working with people who are narcissistic to give any evidence clinically demonstrated or even anecdotally that that's the case what I do know is that there are what I believe what I know is that there are ways of working with people that where I've been told that you can't heal certain people and I've seen those other situations healed. So it's not, obviously it's not um, necessarily directly translatable. Uh, However, the principle holds true and the belief that the the psychodynamic structures in the psyche, if advocated for, can self-regulate towards healing is something I intrinsically, uh, I will hold on to in in every case that I possibly can. Uh, so that's just that really. Uh, but I know when to step away from a situation where because I might not be the one who can do it, if that makes sense. And I think that's the same in, that's how it should be in codependent narcissistic relationships. If things aren't getting better, if you feel like shit, you shouldn't be in that relationship. That's really the case. Relationships shouldn't be like that. So this idea then of twin flames and the part of the narrative is that is that of divine union between the masculine the divine masculine and the divine feminine That they're coming together and that there's often a point there these different stages where there's this what's often termed the bubble love phase where you meet each other and the way in which twin flames meet is often sudden uh, unexpected and it's as if you're meeting this other part of yourself and then there is a bubble love phase where everything's rosy and then the projections start to happen the triggering begins to happen the relationship falls apart and then they separate and then there's a runner and a chaser and the narrative goes that the running and chasing phase can last sometimes four years that twin flames can meet each other when they are uh, you know sometimes it can happen later in life sometimes there can be huge age gaps sometimes it can happen when they are already married so sometimes they don't actually come together in this life but they are here for a purpose to do something together is part of one narrative or to activate this quality of unconditional love and this is an interesting perspective if I view it if viewed through this model within depth psychology this Jungian perspective of the projection of the anima and the animus to what degree might the twin flame phenomenon be that 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 we're just becoming more conscious of it might it because i'm not going to suggest that every single relationship is going to be reducible in terms of in psychological terms nor am i going to suggest that every single supposed twin flame relationship is that of a narcissist and a codependent i'm going to say that some are almost without doubt from what i can see some are I'm also open to the idea that if we're going to talk about universal consciousness which is another component feature in this we are all part of the same universe we are all part of the same consciousness the reason why we are unconscious of other elements or aspects of the universe is because we are in order to perceive it we have to experience a separation a sense of not being it it's only at a higher or greater level of consciousness does that reveal itself so thou art that you are the thing that you're perceiving is not common perspective in most people now at a level when we, if we're talking about divinity and we're talking about a quality of unconditional love then there is a sense that if you are the thing that you're perceiving that your sense of being an individual within the world is very real, it's a a subjective truth, it's true, in fact this is all the universe is, is your perspective of it at one level, but also the knowledge uh, by the same token that it's all, you are the thing that you're looking at perceiving itself simple as that. You are the thing that you are looking at, perceiving itself. And it's always been, it's, it's not always been perceiving itself in the same way. That consciousness is possibly, could be growing. The number of people on the planet is growing. Who knows what other parts of the universe are populated by sentient life forms? We don't know. So that consciousness exists in some form and the trees are conscious in their own way so consciousness is the thing that is around so the sense of separation is that that would be true for many many souls for many many uh, individuals but there's just some sort of resonant frequency that makes some people feel like closer to your soul pattern if you like because we are configured you know as Tessa said if you want to understand the universe think about it in terms of energy frequency and vibration so people who are vibrating at the same um, uh, harmonically with you you know It could be that, that could be a part of it. You know that some people you just line up with, they just feel right to be around. Even though you can say and have compassion in your heart for everyone, there's still preferences. There's still preferences for people, for certain people. Maybe at a a high level of resolution or or if this is resolved within yourself, everyone is the same thing. Is Is there any preference? It's all just what it is. It kind of, it's not that desire disappears. It just becomes so integrated. It becomes almost indistinguishable. But I'm getting off the point. The notion of the idea of twin flames could be aligned in that way or explained in that way. That people who are experiencing what they say is a divine union is that that person who they are resonating with is on such a compatible frequency with them intellectually, emotionally, uh, physically, um, spiritually, that that's what it feels like. Now if we're going to, I want to step back again and talk about the anima and animus projection. But if that person is at a psychological level, that thing, that a psycholo- psychologically, they that that other, the divine masculine, or the divine feminine, and twin flame relationship, is just such a clear canvas for your projection. the The resolution in the twin flame narrative of when people get to union is that that union is not about Meeting necessarily in the physical world, but it is about resolving out the connection to your own soul. That other person, if to so the twin flame narrative, is if that other person is your soul, you are the same soul. Then you're never separate. You're never separate, and in a psychodynamic sense, that can be allegorical for. The It's for it reintegrating or the process of integrating your own anima or animus projection to bring it back into yourself that you're not separate, that all those qualities are your qualities. It's an integrative uh, function of that narrative, of that allegory, of that frame of what twin flame is. And that when you get to that place you no longer have this obsessive or compulsive need and the obsessive and the, the, the obsession the compulsion of the so-called divine feminine can also be a, a, a correlated refactor that manifests within codependency and I think there's this is where sometimes the idea of the divine feminine gets mixed up with codependency and that the divine masculine the one who runs or who gets bored of of the connection um, uh, or or rejects it for whatever reason because if it's if that person is a narcissist if the divine masculine is as a correlation with that of the narcissist in the twin flame narrative or the twin flame explication the divine masculine can reject can be said to reject the connection, the intensity of the connection. That could be in some cases correlate with that of the narcissist who can find so great a, um, uh, an insecurity that is unconscious within them to push other people away. Same with the avoidant attachment style. It's too intense, they push away because in order to regulate and maintain their own emotions, they have a, a, a like a tolerance, a, co- a consciousness tolerance that they can't exceed without having to go into real emotional pain, real emotional difficulty, as Jung said. In order to really resolve out complexes, we have to experience the affects that are in the dregs that they've been hanging on to and complexes are another topic that I won't go into today. But they are essentially these uh, conscious, semi-conscious or unconscious patterns that uh, are configured to um, save us from certain situations and we can associate certain feelings to uh, those situations. So for example, Um, we might have a complex about dogs might have a complex, a a phobia about a fear of dogs because we were bitten as a child so therefore our body is still reacting at an unconscious or conscious level whenever we see a dog there's a fearful response or we're unconscious of something that happened around dogs but whenever we see them for some reason we, we have a reaction and maybe we're not even conscious of it as that comes into consciousness as we do become more conscious of it we can begin to integrate the affect and what i mean by affect is the emotional condition that's that's behind it that we're trying to save ourselves from as a child that might have been the fear of being eaten by a wild animal because we didn't have the parameters of conscious understanding of what the threat level was it's not to say dogs aren't threatening they they can be they do sometimes kill people so it's not it's not an it necessarily even has to be an irrational fear it can be a rational fear and a rational reaction it's just that it's out of balance with our capacity to uh, control our actions in the present moment and this is sometimes the the processes and the patterns albeit with greater or lesser complexity that the narcissist and the codependent can be functioning with. So, uh, the idea then of what resolves out in terms of the twin flame union is that the individual, the specifically the divine feminine within, is quite a common narrative. It's not exclusive to everyone who talks about twin flames, but I'm talking in general terms. Um, that 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 union is resolved out by the divine feminine learning to love themselves um, in a way that is sometimes considered unconditional so that when they when they resolve that out within themselves, when they begin to meet themselves, they no longer need to uh, regulate their own emotional state by meeting or or having anything from the other person. It doesn't mean that they don't have a preference for the other person, but it means that they're not reliant upon them for an emotional state. And that's that can be true of, because, a codependent will also regulate their own emotional state but they'll do it and it's still manipulative, it can still be manipulative and influential, it's just usually far more agreeable. Uh, they usually do it in far more agreeable ways by trying to be agreeable, by trying to adapt to the other person and in doing so they can lose their, their sense of self. So. Um when they get to the point where they have this deeper relationship with themselves so whether that is going right back to what I was talking about in the beginning in terms of the anima and the animus whether that's integrating for a man their ability to relate to the unconscious uh, qualities of themselves or even to the conscious because it's not these things are not I don't think they're exclusive Some men are naturally better at relating to the unconscious but not to their their own opinions and will still defer out to others in the environment for their opinion and seek out experts rather than finding their own counsel and, you know, choosing their path Uh, and vice versa. Same with women. It's not all about the qualities of the animus being about a woman needing to be clear on her spirit. She might be very, very clear and have very clear opinions, but not be in touch with those more, let's say, feminine qualities of being able to deal with the depth of her own emotionality in a way that she can contain it. So, this resolution then, is, this is where I see parallels And where I I think, at some level, it doesn't matter whether you are in a twin flame relationship or a narcissistic and codependent relationship. The answer is the same. And that is learning to relate better to yourself. And in a way where you can cultivate a relationship of uh, love. And unconditional love that you can love yourself unconditionally at some level that doesn't mean that you let yourself off the hook and go i'm just going to eat pies from now on pies and eclairs and i'm going to lie on the couch i don't need to do anything else i love myself unconditionally i'm fine it it, it's not like no The, the quality of unconditional love is that you still want the best for yourself you still show up to yourself it's just that you don't punish yourself you don't get hard on yourself when you don't meet your expectations. And there's, there's more to this development and this cultivation that is also in alignment at one level with this idea of uh, a, a broader universal consciousness and being a part of that. Because when we identify more with that, that we are the universe perceiving itself, rather than with the subjective we get caught up in this uh, subjective idea of who we are then um, it kind of d- the idea of making mistakes becomes a lot easier because we go we're just exploring and I'm just experimenting is I'm not identified um, a friend of mine put it very very well the other day in a conversation when I was explaining this to him so he said so just to let me get this straight it's about where you identify with a part of your idea your concept of yourself your self-concept but you align with it a certain value or a certain status and that that was absolutely that's absolutely spot on it's this sense that we um, when we believe we need to be a certain way in order to acquire something which is sort of this transactional relationship then we have with, our identity um, then we're in that trap whereas if we identify with the experience of being and I've talked about this before in terms of uh, knowing and being being essentially very close together if not the same thing that the sense of knowing yourself is about being present in the moment with yourself and then being arises out of that because you don't know who you are from moment to moment really you don't know what's coming next yes there appear to be congruent and consistent elements of character and personality that go through and follow a certain waveform yes and we don't have to be restricted by that we don't know fully what our potential is and in part that's only ever configured by attitude at one level and by environment at another so how do you how do you face the world and the things that you need to face? In part is attitude and what will trigger certain emotional responses and certain affectual responses is the environment you're in. If you are being chased by a pack of wild dogs, you know, you are going to be afraid and you're going to want to run, most likely, unless... Um, unless you find another way to deal with it and I don't know what that is but there might be that's the point we don't know the full potential um, of our capacities until we really face them so life is experiential in terms of that learning process so it's not this sort of fixed thing that I'm suggesting that you just sit and meditate and I know myself and I'm being myself in just a contemplative state it's active as well um, you can practice it that's what that's why it's called meditational practice to practice a level of raising your conscious awareness of yourself in the moment of why you might be doing something but also by the same token we have an we have instinctual drives the ability to adapt the ability to create and the ability to relate are all key in this and that is where i think uh it feels like a good point to stop so in summary then this idea of the the way if you are in a twin flame relationship specifically if you are identifying as the divine feminine who has been chasing the divine masculine or if you are codependent in a relationship with someone who you're identifying as a narcissist, the same um, answer might, might, this is the invitation, might be true for both. That the resolving out and comprehending that you are, how do you get to love yourself? And I'll put a link to another video in the description below actually to, it's to a blog post that I wrote recently um, about just this uh, and I'll leave that there for anyone who's interested because it is this question of like well what the do you mean by loving myself so it's all very well just say love yourself but what if I don't know how to so there's some um, practical steps and the practical approaches in in that article and if you are still confused and want more clarification please leave a comment in the section there or in the comment in the section below um, but it is about cultivating that because when you are when you can meet your own emotional needs you're not going to be reaching outside of yourself if you can integrate those qualities that you're projecting outwards onto the other and realize that they are qualities you have within yourself that are part of your own psychodynamics. You are whole, you are complete. You are complete, you are whole. Um, To say that you don't need anyone else, uh, you don't, but it doesn't mean that you can't want to be with other people. It doesn't mean that at some level we need other people. We are, you know, most of us are, you know, humans who appreciate company. We are social beings. um despite the certain distances that uh, appear to be uh, presented as healthy. Um, I'll leave it there. Thank you so much for watching. I hope this has been a useful video. It's a lot longer than normal. Um, but yeah, it, it um, does it the question is then, finally, you know does it matter what narrative it is and the resolving that out is also within the twin flame narrative you don't have to be with your twin flame in a relationship in order to experience union that's the narrative and that might be also the result or the product of that psychodynamic of when you have integrated those aspects and those qualities pulled them back from your projection onto the other person and and it reintegrated them back into yourself you don't need to be in a relationship with them you know that union is the union that was already in you that you just had remained unconscious of and to tie that in then to this idea of universal consciousness and the unconsciousness of the individual We are all the same thing. Energy, frequency, vibration. So those relationships, those connections, they're already there. They're already there. And um, it's just our level of unconsciousness, the things that we need to stay unconscious of, that enables us to get to the bathroom, um, boil a kettle, put biscuits on a plate, whatever it is you know whatever it is we we need to be able to navigate the physical world in order to maintain the the safety of the biological organism if you're going to reduce it to that which we can Um, you know it's a functional necessity to not be conscious of everything all the time and uh, how could we Because we're a receiver that has a limited capacity I think I think people who do so suddenly see everything you know is that spiritual awakening or complete madness that again is an invitation for each individual to, to work out for themselves again thank you so much uh, for watching Um, and uh, yeah thank you thank you for the people who have stick at, um these videos and who I know um, some of you who've told me the value of them to you. I appreciate each and every one of you, especially you. Okay, take care, bye for now.